Listener discretion advised by the sound contains salty language. So if you don't like that, turn it down now. No, now, like right now. Okay. Let's start this fucking show. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I told one of my friends we're interviewing you and he's like, wow, you guys don't fuck around. I'm like, we don't fuck around. <laughs> no, we are not <laughs> fucking around. <laughs> we are not fucking around. I love to help you not fuck around. Yeah, I'm not. From the Coast Salish land of Seattle, we're by the sound your community-invested podcast. Each episode, we speak with the brightest minds from Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. We discuss art and pop culture, as well as local news and politics. I'm Sarah Mays, sitting this week with Asia Hauser. On this week's show, we'll start our conversation about the Democratic Party's presidential nomination. We'll then review Ahame Filaje Oluo's new show, Susan. Finally, we'll get to know Amelia Bono, the co-founder of Shout Your Abortion. This is By The Sound. So can I, can we talk for like five minutes about the Democratic primaries? Because my, I posted something on my Facebook page that just like, it was unexpectedly offensive to people with whom I share, for the most part, political affiliation. Uh, so it was a tweet that I retweeted and I don't remember the names of the people, but somebody said, basically listed if it's Beto that's who I'm voting for if it's Biden that's who I'm vo- whatever like they went down the nominees and then said that's who I'm voting for so basically it was vote blue no matter who and then the response to that tweet was hey can you vote blue no matter who folks sit the primaries out since you don't care and let people who care vote so I uh, po- uh, posted it forwarded it and said yeah absolutely every word of this because there are people who care I'm one of them I care and then I had the this long ass thread of comments, um, starting with someone who said, "I hundred percent disagree." Uh, not saying you'll vote blue no matter who does not meet equate not caring. And I'm like, okay, then if this doesn't apply to you, have you know have fun with life. Of course, um, participate. And I have had the experience that even if I post something, I am not a fan of Pete Buttigieg even a little bit, um, and. You know, at this point, I'll vote for a fucking goat in a tie. Like, I don't give a shit. And that's, but that, but in the primaries, I do. So our bar can't be so low and we can't be such fearful people because I think the Democrats as a whole are fucking fearful. And centrism is not going to win us the election election. How often do we have to fucking say that? So I was fascinated by, I don't even know what the argument was. I'm like, I don't know what was offensive about this, but. It was there was offense taken by a couple of people. Well, I, I can imagine there's some sensitivity around Buttigieg uh, in that he's you know the first openly gay candidate with a shot at the the nomination. But it's a weird thing for people to get riled up about. I think because people should be self-selecting here. If they're getting riled up about it, then they do care and they are doing what you're asking for, which is participate. And if they're like me and <laughs> have a preference and uh, always vote, but aren't super, I, I don't want to say I'm, I'm apathetic because, you know, I'm going to vote for sure. And I s- really want my candidate who's Elizabeth Me Warren too. to Elizabeth win. Warren, um, but I don't see personally any advantage in trying to argue the matter right now and try to convince or persuade other voters because c- I am blue no matter who. And I just, this is 
what you were saying doesn't seem controversial to me in that it seems like just the natural order of things. If people are like me, they're they're not going to get into it. Right. And part of that is like every, everybody these days thinks they're a pundit and thinks they're a strategist and is in, in too many cases, I think, voting accordingly based not necessarily on who they like, but who they think their neighbor will like or some jackass in, in Iowa will like. Um, <laughs> that has not been a good strategy for the Democrats. Frankly. Yeah, right? I mean, history has shown that. How's that working out for us? Um, in my mind, the strategic choice is to adhere. I, I'm not going to prescribe this for anyone else, but for me, it's to adhere somewhat to what Ronald Reagan called the 11th commandment, in, in which was, in his case, thou shalt not speak ill of a fellow Republican. And in my case, my strategic choice um, for the primary, I think, is to not speak ill of other Democrats and to try to, you know, hope for unity and enthusiasm. But that doesn't have to be what everyone does. I'm just uh, running my own program, and that's my strategic point of view right now. I was surprised that it caused controversy. Is what I'm. I, yeah. I, I was. I was just like, huh? If this does, that's kind of how I feel about Facebook in general. It's always interesting to me who gets riled up over what. I'm like, if this thing does not apply to you, you really have the option to keep scrolling. Like, it's not. I'm, I don't really. I mean, sometimes I'll I'll kind of comment a disagreement, but not. I don't. I don't know. I shouldn't say no. every now and then I'll get my buttons pushed a certain way and I will go down rabbit holes that I always regret a hundred percent of the time doing yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. this is fucking my fault that I did this. But for the most part, nine, I would say 96% of the time I'm like, meh, I don't like this post. Therefore I will keep scrolling. Yeah. <laughs> what, what I don't get is why people will take a shit on, <laughs> other people's pages like facebook gave you your own wall like that's your house and and just like irl like be as nasty as you want to be in your house like when you're a guest in someone else's house like i i haven't been perfect on this i've had my moments for sure and i'm i've i've done things i regret i've lived and learned on Facebook. But, you know, for the last year or so and and in the future, I think I'm basically just trying to focus on the positive. You know, if if I agree with someone, then I'm going to be there to say, you know, I'm with you. I got your back. And if if it's a point of view I disagree with, then I can just sit in my discomfort and Maybe I will always be in disagreement and uncomfortable with it, but trying to argue someone out of their position never seems to change either of our minds. Right. Especially on Facebook. Yeah. I mean, to me, I po- I think about like, okay, what's my motivation on what I post? And A, it's kind of let people know what is mo- motivating me. Like, I love Michael Harriet from The Root. Oh. If you don't know who that is, please go Google Michael Harriet The Root and just read everything he's written because it's and Damon Young. I mean, brilliant, on point. Uh, so he wrote a, a post, Pete Buttigieg is a lying motherfucker, but he put mf But my point in posting that stuff 
is this is what is informing me. And I'm also 100% Team Warren. Uh, there's a group called Black Women 4, started by Angela Peebles and um, Leslie Mack and, and many, many black women who are brilliant, who co- have come out and endorsed Elizabeth Warren. She sat with them, spoke with them, has had, and, and I find her to listen. And, and people who make fun of her because, uh, oh, fucking debate to performance. Everybody can go fuck themselves with this. Oh, Biden had the best performance. Who gives a shit? This is not Saturday Night Live. Yeah. These folks are going to have to sit in the fucking White House yeah. and actually listen to fucking meetings. Don't, I mean, come on now. Give me a fucking break with that shit. You could tell I have a lot of feelings about that. So I didn't even watch the debate. So I'm like, first of all, um, I, Kamala Harris is out. And as my friend posted, top cop Harris would have made a better president than mayor of racist town, Indiana. So I thought it was a hilarious post. But anyway, so I have a lot of feelings about that. I like both of those people with really unfortunate nicknames. <laughs> like, they they both uh, seem to me like grownups that would do a much an infinitely better job than the current occupant the of the White House. Low. Yeah, That's I mean, yeah, the bar part. is low, but it, you and I would do a better job than the current occupant yeah, of the White House. There's yeah, no doubt in I, my mind. Yeah, you especially a lot more organized than I am. Well, I I, I was with Harris um, at the start, and I I was based on what I'd seen from her in her committee appearances, the way she would lawyer up witnesses. Oh yeah. No, she's brilliant. Uh, and mm-hmm. she just really won me over with her with her brilliance, with her genius. Um uh, in that way, I f- I was disappointed by her skills or lack thereof as a retail politician, not that that is what we should be voting on. I was just I hope that what she uh went through in this cycle um, is going to be experience that she can build on in the future and give it another shot. It's just to not hire her sister as a campaign manager. Cause from what I read, cause I was curious about how it went, you know, what was happening with her campaign and from what staffers have said who left, they said the problem, they, the way they saw it, I was not on the campaign. So this is all hearsay, obviously was that um, she, I believe it was her sister who was not only a gatekeeper, but just not a good manager. And so she probably could have had a really phenomenal campaign if she had a different, if she had different people around her, but because her sister, I think it sounded like from what people said, it was not a well-run campaign and it went, you know, and so that's unfortunate because I think Kamala could have been a really good candidate, even, even with her history of what happened in California um, with her as a prosecutor. So that's what I've read happened. In the long run, I think a Kamala Harris presidency would be a gift to our republic. But anyway, another day. Fire your sister Kamala if you hear this. Sarah. Chelsea. When you say that By the Sound is a community-invested podcast... What does that mean for our listeners? Ah, glad you asked. It means that in addition to hearing our conversations about local issues and interviews with our most interesting Seattle area neighbors, fans of the show can join our listener community online by supporting the podcast on Patreon. Doing so will unlock access to our private Facebook group. What are we posting in the Facebook group? (laughs) Well, in addition to exclusive previews about what we'll be discussing on the show... 
We offer a curated stream of the best and most provocative local news stories each day. That's dope. How much will it cost to join? Our online community membership is available to all patrons starting at $5 per month. How else can fans of the show invest in this community? Our supporters on Patreon, who contribute $10 or more per month, will receive exclusive invitations to buy the sound meetups at Seattle area coffee shops, bars, and parks, where they could meet by the sound co-hosts, guests, and other local fans of the show. Sweet. Where should listeners go to donate? They can visit ByTheSound.net and click on the Donate button. That's ByTheSound.net. Or go directly to Patreon.com slash ByTheSound. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash ByTheSound. So, uh, Aisha, um, Chelsea is not with us today. She is presumably out doing something illegal. Um, <laughs> Uh, but you, you and she did go uh, to a show recently at On the Boards, and it was Ahamafaleje Aluo. In the show was called Susan. Can you uh, tell me more about that? Yes, it was about his mother, Susan Oluo, who I've um, had the privilege of getting to meet and spend time with over the last few years. So she's lovely. Lovely. Oh yeah, you have too. And so the show, it, it was so. Beautiful and funny and powerful. I was crying, uh, especially during the last song. I was actually crying a few times through it. And Aham's gift. He's a trumpeter, right? He's a trumpeter. He's a musician. I think he plays several instruments. But yes, trumpet, I think, is his main one. I've decided he plays several instruments. I actually don't even know that. I feel like he does. Anyway, so the the show is a combination of music and stand-up and storytelling all in honor of his mother. His mother, a white woman from Wichita, married a black man from Nigeria, a Nigerian chief who came over um, and went to, I believe it's called Friends University because he figured he would make friends. It was adorable. I believe so. Maybe that sounds right. I think it was called Friends. And so while he also um, tells the story of his reconnecting to the father he didn't know because he left the family uh, they moved from Kansas to Texas when he was an infant. Um, so as an adult, he goes back to Nigeria. But the 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 entire storytelling and music is about his mom. And one of the things he does, so when I got there, um, I saw Susan, I met them, and um, I'm just so privileged to, we are, to know the Oluo family. They're just warm, kind people. Uh, she said, you know, he... he uh, taped me and I didn't know I guess they I, he he started talking to her and he started recording her answers she did know I mean I think afterwards she didn't re- I think what she said was she didn't realize it was going to be in the show and it was perfectly done because then you would hear he would tell a story he would play a song he would do a skit and then you would hear her voice Susan Oluo's voice oh, uh, oh my god telling the story of whatever it is that he just mentioned and it was absolutely it touched all the senses it felt like to me um i was just engrossed and uh i wish all theater was like that that it it um was poignant and you know and i guess i've had such a complicated history with my own mother and um my father mm-hmm. and so it just you know i thought a lot about my family and 
It was beautiful. Aham and and Ijoma's sister are just extraordinary human beings who clearly had a childhood where their mom, you know, pl- helped them flourish as the creative, gifted, uh, kind people that they are. And and she she is a when you meet Susan. She's genuinely one of the kindest, just open-hearted. I think that's the word with her, is as she greets you as if she's known you forever. And the show was co-written by his wife, right? Lindy West, his wife, she was there too, and her mo- all the moms were there. It was very sweet. And she's, I mean, extraordinary, extraordinary talent. I see here that it is going to be at the Public Theater um, during the Under the Radar Festival. That's January 8th to 13th in New York City. And then February 7th through 8th at the Clarice at University of Maryland. So I'm going to tell my folks, my friends in New York to don't miss it because it's extraordinary. Sarah. Chelsea. When you say that By the Sound is a community invested podcast, what does that mean for me? Um, you're getting paid, Chelsea. I'm getting paid? Yeah. And so are Aisha and myself. We value people's time at By the Sound, and we know that rent isn't cheap here in Seattle. So what did our donors get out of this arrangement? Well, the more donations we receive, the more episodes we're able to produce. Their support also funds our activities to build our local By the Sound community. This is another way in which we're becoming a community-invested podcast. Cool beans. How can listeners donate? They can visit bythesound.net and click the donate button. That's bythesound.net. Or they can go directly to patreon.com slash bythesound. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash bythesound. Our guest today is Amelia Bono, the co-founder of Shout Your Abortion. She is also the co-editor of a book by the same name. I had the pleasure to see her speak at the Central Library back in 2016 and I was blown away by her courage, resolve, and humor. She has been a source of inspiration for me ever since, as I've learned how to find and use my authentic voice. I cannot imagine a more fitting person to have as our first guest on By the Sound. Amelia Bono, welcome to the show. Welcome! Oh my gosh, thank you so much. You guys, that was such a sweet intro that I didn't see coming. <laughs> I didn't know that you or like anyone I know was at that thing. I don't remember actually meeting you at that central library thing. Oh, I, I was just a face in the crowd. <laughs> um, it was like three weeks before the election. Yeah, I remember oh. that. It's definitely categorized in that time in my mind. At, at, at the time, you without knowing it help me find my voice and i you know i don't want to put you in a cult of personality <laughs> no i mean that's the kind of shit that i love that's not how that feels to me at all that's like it's it's immensely um like i get so much life force from when folks tell me something like that you know like that's the reason why that's f- what fuels me to continue in many ways, other, th- other than like, what the fuck else are you going to do other than fight in this hellscape? Shout Your Abortion started as a hashtag, right? So essentially, I had an abortion in 2014. I felt just great about it. I was just really, really happy to not be pregnant. And I was really grateful that the experience was so accessible to me and that like the people that took care of me at Planned Parenthood took great care of me. And 
Um, I felt just like I was so privileged to be like, you know, women have been helping each other end pregnancies since the beginning of time. And like, as soon as I walked into that clinic, I was just like, oh my God, I get to, these people are here to help me do this. Thank fucking God. And thank God for abortion providers. And I just felt like super, like it was an immensely positive experience for that reason. Um, And I didn't ever feel like ashamed or, you know, I felt totally certain that this was the right choice for me. I felt um, really like I didn't feel ashamed at all. I had always been open about it, but I I, then when about a year later in 2015, um, the political stuff started happening where um, a group of domestic terrorists um, infiltrated Planned Parenthood and falsified identities and created these totally batshit propaganda videos that were making it look like Planned Parenthood is selling baby brains on the black market or whatever. And, um, you know, they were like objectively ludicrous, but they were super damaging politically. Um, And the Republicans in in the House and the Senate like were using it to mount their first effort to defund Planned Parenthood. Um, And meanwhile, the people on the left and the Democrats were like not really mustering any kind of compelling no, response. they were hand-wringing because they're fucking fearful. <laughs> yeah, I, absolutely. And they were also saying a lot of shit like, you know, only 3% of what Planned Parenthood does is abortions. Instead of saying, that's a lie, that's not what abortion is, right. and this is fucking outrageous. Right. And this is part of, a you know— incendiary rhetoric that has been used to justify the murder of 11 people since 1994 and is like part of a larger, you know, effort to suppress and terrorize like folks who are providing abortions and having abortions and fuck you, we will not stand for this. There was absolutely none of that. It was very, a very meek defense of Planned Parenthood, not on the grounds of abortion. Right. And I started to be really, and I had already sort of been having a lot of conversations with friends in my life, Lindy West being one of them, about like the fact that we didn't really talk about our abortions with each other and that that was weird and maybe like a representative of a silence that the other side had put on us that we didn't even fucking agree with, but we were sort of like, like we were living it in spite of our values and who we were and our personalities and the fact that we're like very out there with our beliefs and, and, and that we feel good about our abortions and all of that stuff. So um, the day that the house of representatives voted to defund Planned Parenthood, I just sort of like flipped out and wrote this status update on Facebook that was like, Hey, I had an abortion like a year ago at Planned Parenthood and you know, I'm not sorry, I'm not ashamed, I'm super grateful, and I'm telling you this today because I think that the anti-choice movement is relying on silence from pro-choice women who have had abortions. And I posted that shit, like, went got on the bus to go to grad school, and, like, Lindy then put it on Twitter, and it instantly exploded, and within a couple of days it was used by, like, hundreds of thousands of people um, talking about their abortions for the very first time often. Um, and it was just all over the media and it was just the first time ever that I had seen like people who have had abortions actually being a part of this conversation, you know? Um, and the stories that were, that were coming out were just like everything imaginable because like the range of experiences that one can have with abortion is just like so vast, you know? Um, 
so that's how the whole thing started. I, at the time, was in... I was in grad school getting a master's in clinical mental health counseling, um, and I was, like, tending bar. And um, But just, like, the day that it blew up, I just, like, never went back to school and never went back to work and started, like, organizing and connecting with people all over the country who were, like, artists, organizers, like, people in the repro movement, um, abortion having rabble rousers, and just folks who were, like, doing shit all over um, because it was immediately more than an internet thing. It was like uh, people were having, you know, people were doing graffiti. People were making clothing. People were having button-making parties. People were, like, having abortion speakouts. And just all over the place were, like, having this moment of, like, hey, we don't talk about this. And we're the people that are, like, most pissed off about this shit. Like, that's a really big problem. We've got to make our communities communities that can like hold space for the, these stories and and make it so that it is normal for people to talk about their abortions in our little scene or family or you know job or whatever. And um, we are now in our fourth year. As such, um, we're up to four full time staff, and we put together hundreds of different projects and actions. Um, in art and media and events all over the country um, where people are talking about abortion on their own terms. And the way that that looks is really different everywhere. Um, and that's, a, I think, a really important part of SYA is that it's explicitly decentralized. So, like, we're not telling anyone how they should talk about it. We're creating, like, tools um, and resources that can help people start that conversation in their own communities however they want and however that feels right. Because we know that, like, this conversation looks super different all over the country. And even, you know, within one city, it's like just people need to to find their way in in the way that makes sense. And that's going to be really different, like, across demographics and communities of faith and race and age and all of that stuff. Uh, what have you been hearing from... Uh, other uh, women or um, trans men or non-binary people in your work to, uh, say, edit the book, Shout Your Abortion? There's always been part of me that's averse to being a spokesperson or a leader because Shout Your Abortion is so much about collective action and, like, it's not about me, you know? The book, as you mentioned, Sarah, is a really, I think, beautiful example of it's kind of the piece de resistance in like the toolkit of SYA tools. I'm so, so proud of it. Um, it's filled with stories from like, I think 43 folks all over the country. We sent a photographer wow. to like nine different states um, to, to photograph people like in their own homes and the parks where they hang out and, and their, the abortion clinics where they work. And, you know, they're the subjects range in age from, 18 to 85, um, there are, you know, sex workers and people of faith and, you know, former senators and, you know, like kids and old people and like and people who have had abortions, um, people there. There's one person who's had and, and people all over the uh, gender spectrum, because, of course, we must say that, like, this is not just a women's issue, yes. not just women are having abortions. People of all genders have abortions. Um, and I think it's important to just, like, explicitly name that because, I mean, progressives have got to stop creating, like, movements that leave people behind. Well, and the thing about Shout Your Abortion is abortion has been turned into 
uh, symbolism, right? Because obviously, fucking pro-lifers give me a fucking break. Because so many things <laughs> yeah. have lives that they don't give a shit right. about. It's about controlling, <laughs> including women. like you know, babies in cages. Yeah, right. They exactly. have lives, right? Yeah. Uh, people living on the street are a life. Like fucking stop it. Yeah. The issue, what what is so compelling and important about shout your abortion, is claiming our own agency as women. Yeah. Period. Full stop. Right. And that is what's scary to the fucking white patriarchy, oh, white yeah. supremacy, patriarchy, hand in hand is a woman, a white woman mm-hmm. saying, fuck you, patriarchy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to shout my abortion. <laughs> yeah. And that's the part that you're modeling. That's so powerful and it's fucking scary. So fuck you. patriarchy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I also do think that it in some ways, I, I mean, in all ways, like I, was a person who the world was ready to listen to. I was not like a working class um, person of color. I was not, you know, a trans person. Mm -hmm. I was not a sex worker. I was like a palatable middle class white girl with like cute bangs that people were ready to like talk to and listen to. And um, for that reason, I think it's also just important to be like, yo, this is not, like, in terms of, like, modeling behavior or whatever, like, it was significantly easier for me to be believed and respected um, and, like, or significantly more easy than it would be for, like, so many other people. And those people being the folks that are actually impacted by the shit that we're seeing go down legislatively, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And, and so, like, that is one thing that's really important to me also, and another reason why I'm, like, sort of just sick of talking about my own cushy, lovely, right. easily accessed abortion experience is, like, talking about stories where we're actually seeing um, the barriers that people face to having experiences like mine, some of which are institutional and legislative, but many of which are cultural. You know what I mean? Right. Like I had my abortion six blocks of, away from where I live and I could have like walked home and it was, there weren't people heckling me outside. And for that matter, and when I decided to like speak out, I knew I wasn't leveraging any, or I, I wasn't um, risking any of my like community, like my, my, my parents, my church my like status in the town like those things weren't things that I was risking in order to like tell my story or whatever so I think that it's just like important to say that so that it's not just a thing where there's like you know middle class cis white girl who's like yeah everybody just get out there and shout about it you know because it doesn't work the same way for everybody and it's not safe for everybody you know amen like yeah thank you for naming that because that's the part that is often missing in the conversation is that it's not an equal playing field, even in safety of naming the hard things and the risky things. Yeah. And like SY, you know, it's like shout your abortion is not a political imperative. It's not a feminist imperative. It's not something where we're saying like, everybody should do this. The, you know, we're just saying the pervasive normative silence around this issue is fucking us it's fucking us legislatively and emotionally and as communities and families it's hurting us and the more people feel able and compelled to speak honestly about their own lives the more we will live in a world where there is compassion for folks that need to do this and want to do this and and we'll have laws that actually reflect like those needs you know and not until that happens but but that's not the same thing as just saying like you know the last thing 
and this was like in the beginning when everything started, it was like my only true nightmare situation was like, fuck, what if this is just another weird source of external pressure around this issue where people are feeling like if I don't come out Mm. there and speak honestly and openly and proudly or whatever about Mm. my abortion, then I'm like a bad feminist. Like there's just like another way to fuck up, you know? Yeah. The hashtag uh, that got all this rolling for for you and SYA uh, that w- that was 2015. I I'm I'm not a, a tweeter. Or I'm, I'm bad at it. <laughs> not a tweeter. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm bad at it too. So I I didn't even know about it really. Um, I I worked across the street uh, from the library at the time. Oh, okay. And um, when I saw you in 2016, and I had only seen a description of mm-hmm. what, what it was going to be about. And as one who's pro-choice, of course, I was interested. But in that context, in 2016, you know, I was newly transitioning and went through that whole mortifying process of, at that time, of dealing with the bathroom bills that were Ugh. coming out. And, you know, it was being used as a, a cynical way of, of, of driving out uh, conservative voters to the polls in a yeah. presidential election. And today and back then, you've spoken about um, the role that your privilege uh, as a, a white girl from a, a privileged background, uh, the way you're able to communicate to people in, in ways that others can't and how you want to you know, use that in the, the best way. And that was part of the inspiration to me at the time was seeing how you were using your voice, acknowledging the privilege, but also recognizing that some people will listen to you where they won't listen to others yeah. and and trying to you know speak to those folks that would grant you that access and seeing your courage and authenticity and intimacy on uh, – Put out there so fearlessly, it it seemed to me like an act of radical love, and it was something that I wanted to bring. And it, it got me thinking about, you know, the voice I had that I was able to use that wasn't necessarily going to be available to all trans women. And and so, you know, I've thought of you often That's, since then. So. I appreciate that so much, and um, yeah, it really it really means the world to me. I don't. So the um, the thing that Sarah's talking about was this, uh, I was giving a talk on transparency. So I wasn't even explicitly talking about SYA. I mean, I think that a lot of the things that I said were related to um, the power of transparency in the conversation about abortion. But um, I would just say to you, like, yeah, it's, you know, it's incredible. Like you putting yourself out there. Like, there will be people who, and you know this, this is why you're doing this. Like, there will be people who hear you being yourself and loving yourself and being out there in the world who you give courage to do the same. And, like, that's what culture change looks like in the most granular way is, like, when you look out into the world and you see a world that's not set up to allow you to exist comfortably and you say, fuck that, and you do it anyway, you, like, break a hole in the wall that other people will inevitably slide through and then, you know, at some point we're all here. (laughs) Like, I have a friend who says, uh, Dante Hilliard, shout out to my gay black friend who's awesome, (laughs) gay black man. Um, He said, radicals are made and they're not born. 
Yeah. Mm. Right. Oh, and, totally. And if we center liber, if we're radicals for liberation, what a, you know, we we could transfer. I just saw Star Wars. I won't give away any spoilers. <laughs> I just no. want to say we all need to join the resistance. Uh-huh. And center liberation for yeah. us all because this fucked up system's hurting yeah. people who even think they benefit from it. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. And I love like centering liberation, I think, is um, an important thing to just intentionally remind yourself like while we're living in this dark fucking time is not just that we're like fighting these demonic, like yep. inhumane, yep. shitty people that are trying to kill us. Like we are creating a world where we are all like free and able to love ourselves and each other and like move through the world with autonomy and respect and dignity. And that is a beautiful thing to remember, you know, just took us to church and like, imagine fucking <laughs> people are, that's my, that's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's people that are against that and I'm like, yeah. How do you? <laughs> what how, the fuck? Like, right. just yeah. we, we actually want yeah. a better world for you too. Absolutely. Fucker. Oh, like, totally, why? totally. I say that all the time. Like, SYA is not just like fighting for. Like, we're fighting for. And Lindy, this is something Lindy says all the time too. Is I remember, I remember one time Lindy ma- make like some horrible, like skinny white blonde like um, lady, like horrible comic kind of arch conservative chick making a video like mocking Lindy for being fat. And Mm. like, um, it was just like explicitly cruel. And, and that was the point. And I remember Lindy writing a response that was just like, hi, Nicole, like I'm doing this for you too, you know? And, and like, you know, like we're not fighting for a world where like, those people have to hate themselves. We're fighting for a world where nobody has to hate themselves. Uh, like we're not trying to win. We're trying to create a world where people stop losing. Yeah. You know? Oh and, God. And ha- Put that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> like I don't want, <laughs> I don't want them to lose. I want right. all of us to, I, I want people yes. to stop losing, you know? Yes. Um, I, I love, Oh, one thing that I wanted to say about the book that is, like the thing that I'm proudest of probably in my whole life is that this book is now in the waiting rooms and recovery rooms of like almost 300 abortion clinics all over the country. And um, we hear the most incredible things from people who work in clinics about the way folks are engaging with it. And like, you know, walking into the recovery room and seeing people like reading stories to each other. I know uh, like it really, it's like too much for me. It's been, it's been stolen from like six clinics, Yay. which is like the I feel best. like I want to donate like five to like, well, we, yeah. we got a, we got a small grant from a really awesome um, organization called the abortion conversations project that allowed us to buy a bunch of books to send for free to clinics. But, but yeah, like clinics will hit up us up and be like, yeah, like a bunch of pages are ripped out. Can we have another one? And uh, yes. I mean, it's just the wow. best, like nothing could ever mean more to me than that. Um, and and I think that, you know, like going back to what we were just talking about, too, with like just sort of like knowing that your own visibility like is giving other people permission to exist. Like, I really believe that people will encounter this book and just see like an alternative to shame and silence and self-hatred and that that shit just like won't take root in the same way. Like, it's like a shame intervention that's yes. just like, hey, guess what? It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. 
Um, we need um, to connect to each other too. I think I think you know yeah, US absolutely. people in the United States are the loneliest people on the planet mm-hmm. oh, God, because yeah. we find every reason to disconnect from each other and what what you know had me you know verklempt, as my mother-in-law spoke Yiddish would say um about the book in the uh, clinics and pages ripped out is folks were connecting to someone else that they may mm-hmm. never meet. Yeah. And that's and and we're we're all trying to make sense of this human experience Mm -hmm. and the more we can connect and be vulnerable and live in authenticity and transparency, the better we'll be because this shit show of demonic behavior, (laughs) I I didn't believe in, in demons until very recently. Like, you know, I mean, it's like, okay, we won world war two, then (laughs) we defeated the demons, but then like it's fucking coming. So I do think there is an element of evil that we need to, to defeat. And on that road, um, we need to make every opportunity to connect to each other. And I think that's yeah, what's so powerful definitely. about what your invitation to everyone. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's totally, it's not just about um, like defeating anti-choice legislation or whatever. It's like, we've been deprived of the opportunity yes. to connect with yes. people that we love and have like more deep and like nurturing and real relationships. We've been deprived of like, the opportunity to even know, like, that was what kept happening in, like, the months leading up to the hashtag blowing up was I started to just volunteer that information readily, like, when I was working at the bar or when I was, like, in my program at um, Antioch or whatever. And very often people would just be like, yeah, I had an abortion too. And then we would be like, how have we never talked about this before? Mm-hmm. And then just realizing, like, that's another thing that's been really um, one of the many like b- constant anecdotes that happen or like constant things that people tell me is like, yeah, there was this like one I was I, I've always been just afraid to tell my mom this. And I and over the last year, I've like engaged with SY in all of these different ways. And I, I finally I finally told her and it was hard. And we were on the phone for 45 minutes. And then she was like, you know what? I had an abortion, too. You know, like people have told me that some version of that story many dozens of times. Mm. And so that's like a situation where us like we're giving each other the tools to like love us better, yes. you know. And and this is also a thing, too, where we're like, you know, when people participate in SYA, and this is like a thing that I think is very clear in the book, like through those stories, like people aren't just talking about their abortions. They're talking about like their abusive relationships and their mental illness and their substance abuse and their poverty and like all of these other things that are hugely important and that we're not allowed to talk about. And like in owning your story and just like putting yourself whole self out there, like you're, you're going to get loved in a way that I think maybe you weren't able to before, mm-hmm. you know? You'll be able Absolutely. to love others. Yeah. That's why it's so threatening to patriarchy. I mean, this is, right. This exactly. is how the whole thing operates. Yeah. You know, it's driving yeah. us into hiding. Yeah, it's it's totally, it's like dependent on us hiding and yeah. on us being ashamed. And, and like, you know, in the case of abortion rights, it's, it's so, um, 
it's the perfect example of how effective shame is as a means of social control. Like, we have no fucking excuse to be losing this legislative fight in a country where one in four women has an abortion and where 70% of Americans support Roe versus Wade. And the only reason they're getting away with it is because our political power has been stripped away from us because we're ashamed to even say the word out loud. Um, And it's the same thing, too, with, like, whatever issue choose what like whether we're talking about trans rights or we're talking about like you know dignity for people who don't have homes if you make someone so ashamed to have had that experience or be that way or like find themselves in those conditions like that they will not even ever use their voice then they will not ever have political power so did you grow up in seattle i grew up like an hour south of here in Gig Harbor, and uh, I li- I am 35 now, and I moved to Seattle when I was like 19. So I've been here forever. So not exactly a, a culture shock for you. No, not okay. a, not exactly. There's a whole show on how it was for me. So oh yeah, coming <laughs> from Jersey because everyone here is just like so passive aggressive. Yeah. Conflict avoidant. I, no I can one. forgive people having seasonal affective disorder. That I'm sure. fine with. It's you pretty can cancel reasonable. plans. It's reasonable. I have no issue with that. I have issue with people fucking lying, but conflict avoidant. Yeah. Fucking passive oh yeah. Aggressive. Me too. Fuck you. Totally. I agree. And just not like being comfortable just I don't know. I like I bartended for many years and that's like those are the interactions where I would see like I don't know people just are really not comfortable being like hey shut the fuck up okay (laughs) or like no I don't want to talk to you or like get out of my way or like I was in the bathroom line like people can't do it or the other thing too is like waiting for the bus (laughs) when like there's a bunch of people against like a wall waiting for the bus and the bus pulls up and then everyone kind of like half jerks towards the door while like side eyeing the other people with with like you know and oh, yeah. and and it takes like a lot of like f- collective false starts before one person will like go first to get on the bus oh i, I i'm like a train i just You're go like, right on i'm like yeah. fuck you yeah, yeah no i'm not it's I mean, not an efficient but yeah amelia how did you find your people i mean you know i think that like i let's see I worked in restaurants and bars and went to tons of like rock and roll shows and just kicked around the city throughout my 20s and 30s. And I think that, you know, at some point you just like sift out the bullshit and find the people that you're supposed to find. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know if there's I do think that like I I don't know. I I think that it's weird because I. People always think I'm from the East Coast, or they used to, like, when I attended bar. Um, and to some degree, I don't know. I feel like I haven't experienced. I feel like I haven't experienced the Seattle freeze thing, but I've also just like been here forever. So, like, I don't know how much of it is just understanding that that's the norm makes you like less shocked by it or something. Um, but yeah, I think that like, I don't know. It's it is like I totally agree, Aisha. That that like the. Um, people are lonely here and people are in um, and, you know, especially as like time goes on and like we're more and more in our phones and on social media and just not talking to people. It's like people, I don't know if people even talk to each other in bars anymore. Like I think that everyone just sits alone on their phone. Um, So yeah, I think it's hard and it requires some like intentional, like, 
putting yourself out there yeah. and just being like, hey, do you want to hang out? <laughs> yeah, there's there's a vulnerability to that. Right. Um, that's, uh, I, as, as putting our faces in our phones has become more of a security blanket yeah. in social settings, I know. Uh, a Seattle bus is like a library mm-hmm. in, in terms of how quiet it is. Yeah, uh, I know. That's another thing that like <laughs> is hilarious. so, I know, I know. It's That's a really unique phenomenon, I think, is like how quiet the public transportation is here compared to like anywhere else in the country I've ever been. Walking in the streets in Seattle is a phenomenon. So my first experience <laughs> of walking downtown, I also live in Seattle and on um, south part of Seattle, so, so you get to a stop sign or a traffic light. The light is red. I mean, green. However, there's not one fucking car coming and people are waiting. And I'm like, are you shitting me right now? Like, y'all get thrown in jail? Like, what happens if I... Like, it was super... And that took... I still, I, I just crossed. And I'm like, well, hopefully I won't get a ticket. But I'm like, I'm wondering, like, are the cops really that fucking fierce here that people will not cross when it's green, even when there's literally no car no in sight? No one in sight, Yeah. I mean, it's a genteel place. The other thing that's genteel is Mariners <laughs> games. Nobody curses. I'm like, why the fuck is nobody really? cursing? Like, yeah. Uh, At least we're, I mean, I'm used to Yankees games where, yeah. anyway. It, well, in my experience, it's the, the, the fans rooting for the other team that are, are just, it, it, it's, it's like all these like super quiet, like Mariners fans. And then somebody with the opposing team's hat on will be like talking shit, like really loud. <laughs> and it's like that, that bus thing where if, if you talk at all, People are going to hear like yeah, over a true. big area because right. everyone's being so quiet. Um, so they they definitely timid. stand it's out. It's a timid but, city. So are, are you still a uh, local music fan? Uh, Man, I am, but I like I'm so my life really changed pretty drastically when SYA started. And I went from like going to shows and being out all the time to like just being a full time activist. Um and also, you know, I think that like after the election happened, I stopped being able to like get my rocks off in the same ways sort of with art. Like I, you know, I used to just like watch a whole lot of like white dudes playing post-punk and like and that shit was good for me and it like made me like it like did something really important for for me and my like life force levels. But then after the election happened, I just was like, I don't think you guys need to, to have another band. <laughs> Why don't you go fucking help yeah. someone yeah. or like, you know, make your girlfriend a sandwich or like just do something for other people and stop being so fucking self-aggrandizing that you think that the world just like needs your art. I mean, right? Well, although... You know, uh, I notice. Uh, I believe Emily Noakes is mm-hmm. one of the yes. co-editors of the book. And she Kimberly, is. Kimberly Morrison is a <clears throat> sorry co-founder. Yeah, along Kim- with Lindy West. Yes, these are artists. That's true. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm totally down yeah, down yeah. with artists. I just think that like, uh, you know, there's I'm I'm specifically talking about men. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but uh, um. The art seems to play, uh, or at least artists seem to play a big role in um, mm-hmm. this this activism for you. So, do, are you finding any space in your life for you know 
like is there music that helps sustain you or uh, these days or or uh, TV shows like Ooh, I've been watching The Watchmen <gasps> and it's so it's that. so good. It's like a little bit um I'm kind of a baby with like watching scary shows before bed and that one just has so much like gripping yeah. like visual stuff going on that it's like a little much for me but I'm forcing myself to power through because like it's fucking amazing and it's like about racial warfare and Regina King is the shit and like everything about it is very cool. And how many people didn't know about the Tulsa riots? I, I know. Was shocked at how many people didn't know. I'm like, yeah. how the fuck did you not know about the 19 anyway? Oh, is yeah. Watchmen the reason I'm I'm seeing so many articles about it now? The Tulsa riots. Yeah, yeah people okay. googled it like trying to figure out if it was fucking real. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I like forgot I forgot how insane it was. I forgot how gnarly it was. Like, and when I was watching that um, first episode, I was like, is this like, like how true to what happened is this? Every time a black community has thrived in this country, white people have decimated it. That is an actual fact. You can look it up. It is documented and it is. What's happening right now in this country is the sh- like the chickens fucking coming home to roost and how heinous I can't I think we can't overestimate how heinous white anti-blackness yeah and anti-indigenous people and violent extractive capitalism like I my it turns my stomach So uh we all know Seattle is growing a mm-hmm. lot um that never seems to end it seems to be exponential uh, what kind of city do you want to see this become now that you've lived here since the age of 19? Mm-hmm. You know, like there are many things about Seattle that I love. I really love um, the sort of anti-authoritarian nature of it and the kind of like um, like a lot of the flip side of the sort of like passive aggressiveness. Like there, there are parts of it that I find really charming um you know like people just kind of like not giving a fuck in certain ways um is you know is kind of sweet to me i i find a lot like when i travel for work i'll i'll go to other places and be like wow seattle's so beautiful i forgot you know like the air is yeah. so nice i want seattle to become a place where um people can live without being rich. Um, I want there to be neighborhoods that are not completely gentrified. I mean, I don't know how much of this is even realistic, but I want like people of color to be able to stay in neighborhoods um, without like just getting pushed out and pushed further and further out until the whole city is like rich white tech people. Um, I want it to be a city where like people aren't sleeping on the street like and the degree like that shit is so out of control and so fucking sad um and i i I also want like the like safe seattle egan orion contingent of like faux liberals or whatever i mean maybe that's just liberals at this point but I want those people to get the fuck out of the way um, and like let true progressives make change and not people that are just like obsessed with clinging to their own comfort while doing sort of like symbolic gestures 
um, that actually don't change the way that like power is structured Amen. in the city, mm. you know? Our guest today has been Amelia Bono of Shout Your Abortion. You can learn more about her organization at shoutyourabortion.com, where your end-of-year donations may be tax-deductible. You can also buy the book Shout Your Abortion on the website or anywhere great books are sold. Amelia Bono, thank you very much. Thank Thanks, you. Sarah. Thanks, Asia. This was so fun and sweet. So this week, as with every week, we are grateful for some shit, and Amelia's kindly agreed to join us. So, Aisha, what are you grateful for this week? I'm grateful for uh, black artists, black writers, black filmmakers. Uh, I just started watching The Watchmen, and I'm grateful for Regina King, who <laughs> fucking brings yes. it. Oh, my God. So grateful. I was, I, I watched... I was watching her and I said, I wish as a child in the 80s, you know, I had her. I mean, I watched all the shows that featured black folks a lot in the 80s and 90s. And there wasn't quite a black woman fierce superhero. So I'm grateful for Regina King this week. That's fucking awesome. <sighs> so good. Um, I am grateful for Cats. Um, <laughs> the real one, not that shitty movie. Are you, like, oh, are you God. Gonna... No, 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 no. <laughs> that, that was I'm, some, I'm, some tricky timing. To clarify. Right, right. No, real cats, like feline house on cats. Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, real, real feline house cats of Seattle are my jam. Because, <laughs> oh um, you know, I'm, I'm gigging while we develop this podcast to, you know, help pay the bills. And one of my gigs is cat sitting. And in particular, I am grateful this week for a toothless, tailless, sick, chronically ill cat with a gnarly ear named <laughs> Felix. Oh, Felix. Um, who is the sweetest baby in the world. And Felix's parents are away and uh, have been, well... <laughs> As with other people, they uh, they pay me to sleep with their cat. Because <laughs> that's the and and uh, it's actually it is quite lovely. I love uh, taking cat naps with Felix, and um, so he's he's been a very calming presence in my life this week, and I am super grateful to that toothless cat with an early ear. <laughs> that's a pretty how good about, one. How about you, Amelia? I am today and every day so grateful for abortion providers <laughs> who are my favorite. I mean, in, in addition to just like what they do and their function in the universe, abortion providers, specifically independent abortion providers, um, are my favorite people in the universe. There is just no one that is as um, committed to liberation, as loving, as non-judgmental, as hilarious, as like just down for the fucking fight mm. that than these people. And um, yeah, I just, they keep showing up every day and like doing the thing. And I don't know what would happen if, if they didn't. And I know that I don't even have to wonder that because they're always going to, because mm -hmm. they're just fucking down to, to just ride this shit till the wheels fall off. You know, like they're unstoppable. They're so fucking radical and they're just going to do the work no matter what. Mm. Um, which is so it's it's a like soothing thing to know like i me knowing how badass they are like makes me more makes me feel less freaked out mm. um 
And I am also thankful for Regina King. And I'm thankful for Regina King's husband and how he holds her down in that show. Right. And <laughs> exactly. the, the gender dynamic that's going on there yes. and the way that, like, black love is shown mm. in that show. And it's beautiful. And, uh, yeah, and I'm thankful for both of you and for having me on your show today. Thank you so thank much, you. Amelia. And thank you, listeners. You've been listening to By the Sound, your community-invested podcast. By the Sound is an Ahoy Hoy Media production. Ahoy Hoy!